Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Sorry for the delay here. I have a little technical difficulties, but uh, we are here for you. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. One second. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community, from rookie advice to trade analysis. Plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins writer. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Uh, a little irritated earlier this week. A crazy rush at work caused me to miss the entire second half of what apparently was one of the greatest national championship games that college football seen in a long time. So, stupid being an adult and having a job, right? <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Um, so, if anybody out there is listening that wants to pay me and Nick to watch football all day, we are available, or we can be available eventually. So, um, got a great show for you planned today. We'll kind of recap the wild card weekend here in a second. Um, I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, some free agent to be wide receivers and a little plant your flag or wash your hands. Uh, do uh, four against with a Detroit running back Zach Center, and then we also do a prospect watch. Excuse me in the running back realm as we'll take a look at South Florida's running back Marlon Mack and Boise State's running back Jeremy McNichols. We're going to take a look at the best number 48. Uh, not a great number, I'll say that. Uh, and then Chuck's going to stop by in about an hour with some ATS picks for the wild card, excuse me, for the divisional round weekend, Nick. And you're, you are officially warned now we're picking over under this week as well. So get ready for that. Uh, and, and anyway, thoughts. Thoughts on the uh, well? Let's start with the with the Oakland Houston game. Any thoughts? Any thoughts there? Well, you know, Houston twenty seven, Oakland fourteen. Connor Cook's three interceptions, but you can't really blame the whole thing on him. That the whole Raiders team kind of looked flat after losing Derek Carr, which is kind of understandable. I think to be fair, most teams that they lose a quarterback of that caliber probably aren't going to go very far in the postseason, don't you think? Uh most definitely. I mean, the whole defense was was flat the second car got in, injured. I don't really think felt like they ever stepped up their game. I mean, they played better in Houston than they did against the, uh, Denver the week before. But, uh, yeah, I'm a little disappointed in that fact. I mean, we, you know, we've seen good defenses go far. And, our you know, our defense obviously has struggled this year. You know, we've seen, like, you know, with the Baltimore Ravens, what a good defense could do in the playoffs. So, but, uh, yeah. Pretty pretty disappointed in the outcome. I thought it would be at least a little bit more competitive. I was kind of putting like a ticker on Connor Cook. Like if he was to win one playoff game, we could maybe trade him for a third-round pick. And then obviously if he would have won at New England, of course we would have got another mid-first for him, you know. Uh, but uh, that was just uh, wishful thinking. Uh, obviously the season's over. Very very excited about what the future holds for uh, for Oakland. And uh, congratulations to, to the Houston Texans. I can't believe we watched Brock Osweiler get a playoff win, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be up against a, a giant wall in the, in New England this weekend. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, tough to see him win in two playoff games. I didn't think he'd be, even be able to win one, even with the Connor Cook factor. So. 
Uh, interesting note. Brock Osweiler has more playoff wins than Derek Carr, and Connor Cook has more playoff experience than Derek Carr. So <laughs> there, there's your footnote <laughs> from that game. Uh, moving on to the Saturday night contest, uh, Detroit at Seattle. What were your thoughts there? Well, shocker, Seattle defense dominates at home in the postseason, uh, winning 26-6. to uh, They held Detroit to only 13 first downs, 231 total yards, and under 24 minutes time of possession. So pretty much this one was all Seahawks the whole day. On the offensive side, Seattle was led by Thomas Rawls, uh, 27 carries, 161 yards, and one touchdown. That had to probably irritate his fantasy owners after he had kind of a down regular season. <laughs> and then uh, in the passing attack, Doug Baldwin, 11 catches, 104 yards, and a score. Uh, on the flip side, Baldwin definitely rewarded all those owners that held on to him and resisted the urge to trade high after his huge season last year. Oh, yeah, very good point. I uh, I attempted to trade high at him, and now obviously I wish I wouldn't have. But, uh, yeah, he's certainly come, come into his own and proved that no, last year was not a fluke there. You know, and another interesting thing I took from this game and actually kind of moving forward into the playoffs is Looking around, there's no – I don't think there's any question that Seattle is at least the most experienced and, and probably the best defense left in the playoffs. Kansas City obviously has that three-pass rusher attack they can throw at you, and, and New England's always a, always a tough matchup. But don't you think that Seattle defense is probably the best defense left in the playoffs? Yeah, definitely. And I think Houston probably deserves a mention, too. I mean, they took Derek, or Brock Osweiler to the playoffs. <laughs> you got to figure that was probably a, more of a defensive team right there. Yeah, Houston was the number one defense. but uh, uh, And I think uh, they will get a lot more respect if they come out of New England with the win. But uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody's anybody's betting that, that's for sure. Um they might be betting the the line, but they're not betting that Houston's going to win, that's for sure. Um, moving on to the Sunday games, man, Miami really let me down. I thought Miami at Pittsburgh, I really thought they had the, they could hang. I thought they have some really good offensive weapons. I don't know if the quarterback would have made a difference at all. I, I did trust Matt Moore. I know it was a new scheme, but, uh, you know, I don't, I'm sure they had a game plan going into this game, but they were down 14 nothing, like, like four or five minutes into the game, and they're, you know, all your preparation and all your game plan of setting up the defense is pretty much out the window at that point. So, uh, but they still showed a lot of fight, but that that, fall, that uh, strip sack by Harrison at the end of the first half was just huge. They looked like what was good. They looked like they could have probably got a touchdown on that, at least, you know, three points. That would have made a whole whole hell of a lot of difference, I think, going into the second half, especially if they scored a touchdown, they would have been going into the second half with a lot of momentum, and that's just, uh, that was the play, the play of the game, as far as I'm concerned, that was, that ultimately turned the tide, obviously, good luck to any defense facing Pittsburgh, I mean, you could, even if you slow Le'Veon Bell, oh, guess what, they had this guy named AB84, so, I mean, that's, that's, a great mix. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how big that ankle is for Big Ben, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes moving forward. In Casey, what are your thoughts on the game there, Nick? 
Well, we had another game here featuring the backup quarterback, Matt Moore, but he wasn't terrible. 289 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but unfortunately he was unable to guide the Dolphins to a touchdown until in the fourth quarter when the Steelers already uh, had a pretty big lead at that point. Uh, the Steelers, of course, leaned on their studs. I believe I heard this was the first time they had uh, Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown all playing in a playoff game together. Uh, so Bell and Antonio Brown had two touchdowns each, and uh, Antonio Brown was definitely the biggest factor in the passing game, counting for 124 yards of Ben Roethlisberger's 197 yards. Yeah, AB84 is just, you want to say he's, it doesn't sound right to say that he's a man amongst boys because he's so small, but he's he's definitely the best athlete out there. It's just like every time he makes a play every single game where you say that, that, that guy is the best player on the field. Uh, it's pretty hard to imagine a scenario where he's not the best player on the field, so. He's pretty pretty darn incredible. Uh, last game, uh, this was actually unfortunately probably the most what the one most competitive game. But uh, Aaron Rodgers opened up the uh, the floodgates and took him out to the woodshed. And I'll stop the metaphors. But what what do you think there, Nick? Well, Odell Beckham dropped a couple passes right off the bat, and I wonder if that kind of got in his head a little bit. But even so, the Giants pretty much dominated most of the first half, keeping the potent Green Bay offense from scoring until two minutes and 20 seconds left before halftime. And then, of course, the big Hail Mary that everybody's talking about uh, right before halftime. Randall Cobb caught three of Aaron Rodgers' four touchdowns, and then Devontae Adam also chipped in with eight catches, 125 yards, and a score in the big 38-13 to win. Uh, yeah, Randall Cobb, where was that production week 15? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, that I, I was surprised. I thought, I actually thought, um, Detroit defense would match up better against, against that giant offense. But, uh, you know, Green Bay is hot right now. They're going into, they're going into Dallas and, uh, Dallas does not, get a lot of turnovers they're going to have to get some kind of stops they're going to have to slow Aaron Rodgers down because he could kill you in the cold but now he's going to a nice warm stadium and if he gets if he gets time he's just going to pick this defense apart so it'll be interesting to see what Rod Millinery Rod Marinelli has in store for for Mr. Rodgers because even when he's on the move he's just he just makes things happen I and I know I've said this before but every time you watch the Packers play Aaron Rodgers makes a throw and you're just like my god does he have the best arm ever I mean he, might, he maybe doesn't have the strongest arm ever but it's the accuracy the the placement it's just every single time you watch him play it's just time and time again it's just like wow he just he just can make any throw that that you need and that's why that team is successful and that's why they're on this hot streak right now so Dallas with those rookie backs and, and Zeke and Dak, I think they they really need to be worried. This is this is a big test for them, and obviously, you know, there's four really good teams left in the NFC. So, um, what do you think, Nick, as a whole? I mean, I feel like the competition, especially with Houston being in the mix, competition in the NFC, I think is a little more, little more tighter in terms of the teams that are left. Don't you think? Oh, I definitely agree, especially when you consider that the number one seed in the AFC is the Patriots, who have more playoff experience than anybody. And then you look at the NFC, the number one seed uh, features a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back. So, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a little more competitive on the NFC side. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, 
Dallas Green Bay is amazing television. If it's Pittsburgh New England next week, uh, you know that that's that's a huge huge ratings booster for the NFL. Not that people aren't going to watch if it's KC Houston, obviously not Houston, but uh, um, and then you know no matter what happens next week, you know even C- Seattle Dallas would be huge. Green Bay Seattle would be huge. Like I think that game would be in Seattle. So yeah, there's and the, and the Falcons are no slouches either. You know they they're they've played better defensively throughout the year and uh, a, a big test for them against Seattle. That's just two great games in the NFC this week. Not to take anything away from the AFC, but I think we just realized the competition level is a little bit tighter. Like I said, in the NFC, and I think that might actually benefit the AFC come to Super Bowl time because they're gonna. These two, these four teams left are going to really, really take it out of each other. So we'll see. whoever comes out of the NFC might be a little, might be a little wounded from such a, such a rough ride to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, I thought we'd get a little plate your flag or wash your hands. Uh, we do this from time to time. We did it last time about this year, and then we did more for during the summer, uh, leading up to the NFL season. We're just going to talk about some free agent wide receivers. It's not a pretty list, uh, but it, this is a list that I pull the guys that are free agents to be um, all these guys I know either were either on or I put them on the waiver wire this year myself so just just some guys that are rushed around us looking to potentially go to a new situation but they are free agents to be when that uh, when that period opens up um, depending on when you listen to this I don't think anybody's going to get locked up in the next month or any one of these guys but uh, let's just start here at the top with uh, with Kamar Aiken, Nick, uh a, a decent sized receiver. I think he's six three, two twenty. A guy that can really make things happen. He just really hasn't had a chance to make get on the field consistently, don't you think? I don't know. I'm kind of going the other way. Uh, in 2015, it looked like he might be on the upswing, uh, 75 catches, 944 yards, and five scores. But then he followed that up this year with only 29 uh, receptions for 328 yards and one touchdown. I just kind of think 2015 was a fluke. Uh, if he was special, you would have think he could have beaten out Mike Wallace or the 82-year-old Steve Smith or the tight end Dennis Pitta, who hadn't played in years. Uh, I'm, I'm washing my hands on Kamari. Uh, real quick thought, though, on Steve Smith. Pretty much every year for the last five years or more, I thought, okay, this is the season he's finally going to hit the wall and he'll be ineffective. And every year he proved me wrong. What a what a great player he was all the way to the end of his career a couple weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. Just a a guy that defied you know all all uh, all preconceived notions about his size and whatnot. It just played played like an animal. Uh, and forgive me, I did. College and Bellish Kamar Aikens uh, measurements. He's six two two thirteen. Uh, you know this is his what fifth year in the league. Yeah, this will he'll be entering year six. He is he is close to twenty eight years old. So we you know we saw some good things out of him that one year in Baltimore. People are when people were hurt there, but uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he's a guy that I think he's he's a certainly a guy that's going to be a waiver wire type of player going into next season. So he's certainly, you know, when your rosters swell here during the off season, he's a guy to throw on there and just see where he ends up. You know, if he was to end up, you know, back in new England, he played one game there in 2012. You know, that's, that's intriguing. You, you just, you just never know where these guys are going to end up. Even if he was going to end up like in a place like San Diego, or we know they have some guys that have proven they could play this year. 
Uh, but uh, or even Oakland, what if they're de- what if they're done with Seth Roberts and they want a veteran slot receiver to bring this this offense over? So it it just depends the situation, and he's certainly a guy that I would have no problem just throwing on my roster and just see where where he'd land. Uh, Kendall Wright, I I was able to nab a couple of Kendall Wright shares towards the end of the year. Nick, what do you think about him? Another older guy. Well, he only played 21 games and got just over 800 yards combined over the last two seasons. But you know what? Just because his price is dirt cheap right now, I might plant my flag. Uh, I don't see him being a 1,000-yard guy again. 2013 was his only year where he had over 800 yards. That year he had 94 catches, 1,079 yards. But if he does wind up in a favorable situation, I could see him being like a six to 800-yard guy with a handful of touchdowns, you know, a bi-week plug type of guy that's valuable on the back end of your roster. Uh, somebody who's going to put up maybe Mohamed Sanu type of numbers. You know, he's not the same type of player, obviously, five inches shorter than Sanu, but, but those kind of, that kind of production I could see. He is only 27, so he, he does have a few years left, I think, as a productive receiver. Yeah, and he's a guy that, you know, even if a team wants to bring him in to compete as their wide receiver three, a guy that can come in and play the slot, you know, teams like Minnesota and possibly Houston come to uh, come to mind. Um, I'm sure Arizona might be looking for another wide receiver too, uh, a guy that uh, it, they they don't seem – I know they've had a few decent draft picks, but they don't seem to be a team that likes to build – through the draft, they, they like to take chances on veteran players, and I think given the age of Carson Palmer and where they're at, that would be an interesting sign for them. And we know they're not opposed to short receivers there, that's for sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he's still got some left in the tank. He, he's obviously been been uh, beat up the last couple of years, you know, and if he going into this free agency period, you know, guys tend to, to show these teams, and maybe, maybe that'll be good for him in his career. So, uh you know, another guy that we were ready to probably just put a fork in last summer reemerged in a in a not a very good situation there. Uh, what do you think about Jeremy Curley there? Well, this last year was his sixth season. He had a career-high 64 receptions. Uh, He had his best yardage total since 2012, uh, putting up 667 yards this year. Uh, But he's never scored more than three touchdowns in a season. Uh, I think he's going to need a very favorable landing spot to be more effective than he was in 2016 uh, when he was on a team that was throwing the ball a lot because they were behind every single game. Uh, You know, if you can sell remotely high, I think I would wash my hands on him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, a guy that has a a career year this late into his career is is not generally not a good sign. And again, I like I said before when we started this list, this is it isn't a pretty list. There's obviously big name free agents out there like uh, Alshon Jeffrey and whatnot. But uh, I I thought we would talk more about the guys that are potentially available or uh, guys that you could you could get your hands on uh, for the cheap. So that's why we're talking about. <laughs> Guys like Cordell Patterson. What do you think, Nick? How about that for a segue, huh? <laughs> well, uh, Patterson did have a career-high 52 catches last year. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if in five years from now that's still his career-high. Uh, you know, even if this career year he never topped 70 yards in a game this season. I think he's kind of like a poor man's Devin Hester. You know, if your league awards kick and punt return yards, he's definitely rosterable in that kind of format. But if not, I think you probably should have washed your hands a long time ago. Uh, I'm not trying to judge, though. I mean, I was guilty of holding DeAnthony Thomas for way too long. So if you still have him, don't feel like everybody <laughs> makes those mistakes. Um, what about Tampa Bay for him? I, 
that's an interesting team. You got to think about teams that need a kick returner, um, and he he might be a, an interesting side because he there's certainly a void there, a place a, t- a they're going to be looking for wide receiver two and threes, and you know if you got Mike Mike Evans doing damage over the middle and letting just letting. Uh, excuse me, letting uh, Patterson get deep, that that could be good. Uh, obviously, he got he got into the mix. He he beat out the hot shot first round rookie this year, so that's that's encouraging. It took a it took a little while for his development, but he's going to have to go somewhere that needs a kick returner. Um, so I think I think there's enough athleticism and intrigue there for me to hold on to him, uh, depending on situation. Um, you know, if you're like you sit next to it, if you're a league rewards for uh, for uh, return yard, that's that's a definite reason to hold on to him. But uh, uh, you know, there's if he goes to a team that's loaded with wide receivers, I mean, then you could maybe consider dropping him. But you just you just never know. Um, yeah, definitely. They, they, Adam Humphreys has been doing doing kick return duties for uh, Tampa this year. I think Patterson would be an upgrade there too, and he's also off also playing the second wide receiver role there with uh, Vincent Jackson obviously done there in Tampa. So I, I, I like that. Uh, I like that. Uh, that would be a good sign for them for Patterson. So I think he's a guy to hold on to. Um, and I, I obviously wouldn't be surprised to see Minnesota taken back. It would be at a much reasonable contract. And I think he realizes that at this point in his career, but uh, he's a guy that I never thought I would say this going into uh, last Last season, prior, I didn't want anything to do with that, but now, now I own a share of him, and I'm just kind of intrigued to see where he ends up. Um, Ted Ginn back on the free agent market, Nick. He's probably the oldest guy of the bunch here. What do you think? Um, probably is the oldest, yeah, but why would Carolina not re-sign him to me? I mean, uh, Devin Funches may never take that next step forward, and behind the aging Greg Olson and uh, Kelvin Benjamin, they're pretty much paper thin there as far as uh, pass catchers. Uh, Gid's caught over 700 yards each of the last two years and 14 touchdowns in that span. He's been a great, great complimentary player in that offense. He just fits their scheme well. Uh, So he's landing spot dependent, but I think I would tentatively plant my flag just because I think a reunion would be best for both sides there yeah he's going to be 32 in april and like you said the the landing spot is huge there obviously he had some some success early on but uh uh, he had some success early on there with like uh with miami but uh you know out that one year he went to arizona just just did, did not happen for him. He fits that Carolina scheme well. I, I I don't know if teams would be you know rushing out to sign a 32 year old wide receiver. I think he would be one of those guys you see get picked up you know a week or two into into training camp. That's if if uh, Carolina doesn't uh, bring him back in. So and again, you know, you always going to bring up the the intrigue of New England. I know it's hard to figure out who they're who their fantasy players are going to be from week to week, but uh, that's an intrigue. And maybe he's another guy for uh, Tampa too, since he can do that, uh, that kick return thing as he seems to keep holding, uh, holding his speed there. So, yeah, I, I washed my hands of him. He started out really slow and he needs to find the niche wherever he goes. So I, I, obviously not going to blame anybody for dropping him, but uh, 
landing spot would be a, a big thing for him too. Uh, Terrence Williams. Can you believe Terrence Williams is a free agent? I feel like we were just talking about him as a prospect, Nick. How did we get so old? <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah. Williams had seven seven games with two or fewer catches this year. Uh, his yardage dropped nearly 250 yards from his career high 840 in 2015. Uh, most concerning to me, though, is that he was quite obviously passed by Cole, Cole Beasley in the pecking order at wide receiver. Beasley's a nice player, but he's not a prototypical wide receiver, too, on a team that's got the number one seed in their conference. Uh, I personally would wash my hands. I just think he should be better than he is, since, especially since he's had so much time spent in one system, and he just never seemed to take that next step forward. Yeah, he's going to be 28 in September. Wow. Good medium-sized guy, 6'2", 208. Um, He's not not a guy that's going to be a wide receiver one anywhere. So, like all these guys, you know, landing spot intrigue there. But, uh, yeah, you know, and maybe maybe Beasley beat him out because they want a different type of receiver. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you know, he's Jez Bryant light in that offense. you know, not quite the athlete, not quite the size, but certainly uh, a guy that uh, has intrigue when you see the when you see the measurables on him. But uh, you know, and he is another he's a Baylor wide receiver, if I remember correctly. So you know, maybe maybe the, that simplistic system is, comes into play here. Um, and uh, but the, I think the big concern and why well, there's a reason they could wash my hands with him, and I. I own too many shares of him, so it's it's weird. I mean, I suppose I could drop one, but I I feel I feel we're dropping one and not another, but I don't need to do so right now. But uh, I think the but back to what I was saying is before the big concerning stat on him um, is not only did he have 12 less catches this year, but he had he had 30 less targets. Um, and with with Des Bryant missing missing time again this year, that that that's that is really concerning to me about Terrence Williams. What do you think about Kenny Stills, Nick? Well, I like Stills more than anybody else on this list. I would definitely plant my flag both in fantasy and if I were an NFL GM. Uh, There's not many 25-year-old wide receivers that can say they've had success on two different NFL teams. And I I admit, last offseason, I was ready to wash my hands. But in year two in Miami, just like in year two in New Orleans, uh, his yards shot up by about 300 yards, and he scored nine touchdowns this year as well. He he is a boomer bust deep threat, so that does take a little bit of a hit in PPR leagues. But in best ball formats especially, he's a very nice guy to have rostered and definitely rosterable on all formats. Yeah, career average per catch is 16.7. Had a career high in touchdowns with nine this year. Um, I'm sure Leontay Carew owners are hoping Kenny still signs somewhere else because if he can if he can be that guy in this, in this offense next year, that that's huge. Um, you know, one thing, that was concerning. And maybe this is more Tannehill than, than Stills, but uh, uh, 27 to 63 targets in 2015, 42 of 81 targets. That's under 50% and right around 50% there. That that that's a little bit concerning. I know he's he's kind of a, a one-trick pony with that D threat, so that's that's the risk you run with that with that type of player. But I'd like to see maybe a little bit uh, better out of him. Um, but yeah, Nick said, like Nick said, he is probably the most intriguing guy in this list. He he's he certainly has the speed, you know. I think he's he's 
because he's a little bit bigger than like a Ted Ginn, so he's not like a Ted Ginn type of player. But uh, it, it is intriguing that he's had success in two different two different NFL teams, and we'll see if he can uh, make it a third. I I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't have a landing spot really in mind for him. Uh, obviously, the teams I've talked about would would be intriguing. Um, you know, I I don't know if Cincinnati was uh, satisfied with. With Tyler Boyd, maybe they bring in a guy like that to, to compete to help him out. Um, you know, Philadelphia would be another guy. They they really need a they they need a guy to come down and take the take that top off the defense. So maybe maybe Stills is a is a a, a guy there. He's certainly a plant to your flag for me. Um, let's get to some dynasty trade analysis here, Nick. I got a got a handful of them. Um, Allen Robinson for 1.04 and Jordan Howard. What do you think? Well, this all depends, of course, on whether or not you think Jordan Howard's going to be the lead back in Chicago moving forward. I, for one, do. I think he did proved enough this season that they can trust him, and they have plenty of other holes on that roster that they need to address before running back. So I think he'll be uh, trustworthy moving forward. So getting him and the 1.04 pick for a guy who really had a down year this season, Allen Robinson, I think that's fair trade uh, with the edge to the side to pick up the draft pick in Jordan Howard. Yeah, and, and it's never a bad idea, you know. If you if you got Howard and don't want to sit on him, it's never a bad idea to to convert that into a wide receiver. Um, you know, a new potentially a new scheme to learn there, and and Jacksonville. I I don't know. We I I don't know if we've have we seen the best of Allen Robinson is another big question. This so. You know, you also got to look at this as you're giving up Allen Robinson, and this guy is getting potentially a nice, a nice RB one, a guy that proved on a bad team that he could be a, a stellar running back. Granted, it was just one year. We'll see if he can do it again. But that 1.04 pick is pretty nice. You know, you're you're probably missing out uh, on Fournette and Cook. Um, but then, you know, then the the question becomes, you know, Joe Mixon is throwing his name in the hat. Landing spot's going to be big to where we go, where he goes, but he could be a guy that's up there. Mike Williams is certainly a, a guy that's in that top four conversation. Corey Davis, maybe a little more landing spot dependent, but uh, yeah, that you're getting a, a nice prospect with that pick too there. So yeah, I mean, you certainly uh, you're certainly giving up something to get a, a to take a chance on on Allen Robinson. I'm not saying he's dead in the water, but uh, th- that year did concern me for him. Um, Richard, <laughs> excuse me, Richard Perryman for 2.09. What do you think there, Nick? Honestly, I think this is the perfect trade. Uh, if I was loaded at receiver and somebody offered me 2.09 for Perryman, I would make that trade. And if I needed a receiver, I would have no problem giving up 2.09 for a guy like Richard Perryman, who you know hasn't really exploded yet, but he's still young and got potential. So, yeah, I, I think this is a perfectly fair trade on both sides. Yeah, I own a couple shares of Perryman, so I think that's about fair. Where I paid, I traded, I think a third and and Marcus Wheaton for him last off season. Uh, where I drafted him, I took like I took him in the second. So, you know, you're losing about six six picks, not but you're not losing the whole round. So that seems that seems pretty fair. Uh, Aiken's a free agent, obviously Steve Steve Smith's. 95% gone. Um, it's going to leave Perryman and Wallace. 
you know, I think I think he's going to have a nice role there. I, I maybe he takes a, a nice step and becomes a, you know, like an eight, an eighty catch guy. I think that's certainly a possibility if he can stay healthy. So that, that's that's not a bad that's not a bad selection. I I'd, I'd be a little surprised to see this go off in some of our leagues, but uh, you know, given the fact that Perryman really hasn't shown us that much the last couple of years, I think I think it's huge here. Um, Sixteen team super flex. Uh, Tom Brady, Ezekiel Elliott, and Theo Riddick for Blake Bortles, Spencer Ware, Jordan Howard, and Michael Thomas. What do you think? Uh, very, very interesting trade. Uh, I have to lean towards the side that got a little bit younger, though, especially in the Superflex 16-team league. Uh, we know, you know, we're in a 16-team league. It's not Superflex, but we know how valuable starting quarterbacks can be. So Tom Brady's not going to be there three years from now, whereas Blake Bortles has at least a chance to be. Uh, and then you look at the running back shelf life is so much shorter than wide receivers. So while Michael Thomas might be the number one rookie wide receiver and Zeke is obviously the number one rookie running back, I, I just wonder, you know, in six, seven years is, Zeke's still going to be doing anything, whereas I think Michael Thomas has a better shot to have a longer, more productive career just because he's a receiver and not a running back. So I'll, I'll side with the, the team that picked up Bortles, Spencer Ware, Jordan Howard, and Michael Thomas, but it is pretty close. I do think Zeke is that, you know, transcendent type of player where he's going to be a running back that's effective for, the, for you know, not just three to five, but potentially six to eight or maybe, maybe even ten years. I'm not saying he's going to get 15, 1,600 yards every year, but I think he's certainly a guy that can put up, you know, 8,000-yard seasons. I think he is that type of player. So, I and, and you know, Jordan Howard, we don't know what you're getting there. Theo Riddick, I don't know. The, the injury bug really really hurt hurt my uh, case for him right now. Um, Spencer Ware, you know, is, is he the RB1? He had some good games in the middle there. I understand getting younger there with Bortles and, and Bortles and, and Thomas is a nice kicker in there. So I, I, I would probably lean your side there, but oh, I don't know if that's – you're giving up a lot there with Zeke and Tom Brady, that's for sure. So I, 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 I guess I understand it, but uh, I don't know if I could – I don't know if I could do that trade. Um, is this the off season you think, Nick, to preferably pre-draft, pre-actual NFL draft? Is this the best time to trade high in the Quan Treadwell? I mean, what what if what if he has another Cordellton flop here? I mean, like he did this year. I mean, you're probably not going to get a first round pick for him, but what are we going to get for him next off season? Yeah, you're right. I would be hitting the panic button big time on Laquan Treadwell. He's, you know, battled minor injuries, but was relatively healthy throughout the year and still did absolutely nothing. Got passed on the depth chart by uh, Adam Thielen, who, you know, is a pretty darn good player. He's, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect him, but uh, also got passed by Corderell Patterson, who's, you know, not, not hasn't had the greatest career so far. And, you know, for, for the fact that they drafted him so high, you know, mid first round pick for him to get uh, bypassed by players, I, I would worry. So yeah, I would, I would pretty much take what I could get for him at this point. Yeah. I mean, not only could he get up on the field, he couldn't even be active for games. He was inactive a lot of the time. And you think, you know, he was the guy that when you first watch film on him, his, his blocking prowess as a college wide receiver was so extensive. That was the, one of the things that immediately jumps off the page when you watch him. And considering all the injuries they had 
at offensive line. I'm not saying he's going to come in there and play left tackle, but he's certainly a guy that you can line up in the slot and help your running game. So the fact that he couldn't get on the field and do that, even that type of thing for this for this offense, really, really caused caused me to to, to double think or uh, to double think to to you know, re- rethink what his value is going to be go- going forward. Um, trade him, I think that there's still. There's still some intrigue there, and hopefully, you know, an, an entire off season with this franchise can can help him. And you know, hopefully, he has a come to Jesus moment or whatever you want to call it, a, a, a revelation, and, and hopefully he comes around. But uh, you know, if you get if you get offered a, a second or a late first, I, I'd be hard for me not to pull the trigger. Uh, Tariq Hill. And two point zero seven for Keenan Allen. What do you think there, Nick? Uh, I love the the side that picked up Hill and the two point zero seven. Uh, I like Keenan Allen. You know, when he's healthy, he definitely produces there in San Diego. But he does have a lot of injury red flags. Um, I actually own Keenan Allen in one one league, and if somebody were to offer me Hill and two point zero seven for it, I would jump at that opportunity. So yeah, I, I got to side with the the team that picked up Hill and the draft pick. I don't know. Like I said last week, we talked about it extensively on the show and on the uh, expert Q and A. I got I got a lot of thoughts about the shelf life of Tariq Hill moving forward. I know he's a, a, a fantastic weapon for that offense right now, but I, I don't know. I think I would go with Keenan Allen's side. You know, when, like Nick said, when healthy, he's a very effective player. He has battled injuries. He had a major knee injury in college. Why he slipped in the actual NFL draft, but. I think I would hold on to uh, Keenan Allen. That's that's not enough for me to to pull the trigger there. Uh, last one. This is the third Jordan Howard trade. The Jordan Howard trade edition of the Dynasty trade analysis. You're listening to the Dynasty Pulse with Nick and Josh. Uh, Jordan Howard or Devontae Parker and a 2018 second. What do you think? Well, I'm assuming the side that picked up Jordan Howard is trying to make a run here in 2017. So as long as that's the case, I have no problem making that trade. Uh, Devontae Parker's been pretty inconsistent as far as his production. Uh, And then you're giving up a second-round pick in in next year's draft. So, yeah, as long as you're trying to make a run and win it all in 2017, I I like the trade uh, for the side that picked up Howard. Yeah, it's – you've got to be – excuse me. You're probably right on that aspect. You look at the team that's probably trying to – Make a run, hence they're picking up uh, uh, Jordan Howard. And again, really impressed by what he did on on not not a good team this year. So, um, pretty much agree with everything Nick said there. Um, uh, you know, some people really like to build around wide receivers. So, you know, if you can sacrifice Jordan Howard because your team's not a contender, you know, he was. I don't know what his ADP was, but I'm guessing probably. Early second. That means you, you know, if you're picking an early second, you were in a good team the year before, and you're not. He's not going to run you into the playoffs this year. And you can get a guy like Parker and a second round pick. That's 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 certainly a good return for him. So I I, I understand it like both sides of this trade. That I think it's fairly even. Um, for or against? This is something that we haven't done for a while, but we take just we do like a dynasty dilemma a lot of the weeks, uh, but. Just today, so we just do a four against. We're gonna talk about a player, and then next we're gonna go back and forth with uh, just 
four talking points each. Uh, one of us picks a four side. The other one picks an against side. We're talking Zach Zenner. I picked the four side, so I will go first here. But uh, let's see, play the music. It's time for four or against. Okay, so I'm sure my illustrious host will probably go there in terms of bringing back competition in in Detroit. But I think ideally, Amir Abdullah is great. Is great, but uh, he, he, you know, I think Riddick is the the idea of him, you know, staying healthy. Just we just really haven't seen that from him so far. So that that's. That's not a, a concern for me. I think we've seen enough from Denner so far moving forward. I think Riddick is the only real competition, and he has a lot of miles on him and some injuries now as well. He certainly fits more into that third down, third down, third and long type of. Concerned about the competition there, and really not concerned about rookie DeAndre Wash, Dwayne Washington, excuse me. Nick, what you got? Yeah, see, I'm I'm the opposite. I, I'm guessing that you know Theo Riddick and the former second round pick Amir Abdullah are going to be healthy again at least to start the season. So that knocks Zenner down to running back number three at best, and he's not even in the third down back role. So his only value comes with injuries to teammates. And like you said, the two guys ahead of him are a bit injury prone, but still they have to get injured again for him to have any value whatsoever. Okay. Uh, one career fumble by Zinner in 125 career touches. Uh, he's converted 20 of 26 targets in the passing game. Um, he, I, he just he knows how to play smart, secure football, and he's obviously not a blocking liability as well. Um, he also has no problem sliding into a fullback role. He you know he he just wants to be on the field. He wants to do whatever he can for this team, and I think I think he just. Coaches and GMs just love guys like that, and I think there'll always be a rule for this guy in this offense. You know, to me, when I look at running back's yards per carry, 4.0 is kind of a magic number. Zenner was close to that with 3.8 this season, which was up from 3.5 as a rookie. Uh, but the only game where he topped 15 carries, he got 20 carries, and he was only able to manage 69 yards out of that, 3.5 yards per carry. That's that's a little bit of a red flag to me. It's the only time he got major work. He didn't really do much with it. Okay. Well, it was the only time, though, so maybe if he gets that, Moving forward, we'll see some more. Um, he opted to forego medical school for the time being to pursue his NFL dream. So he's obviously a very intelligent player. Um, uh, I think uh, I think Bobby Rainey and the, the kickoff fiasco uh, is a is a good sign that that we need uh, we certainly need intelligent players in the NFL. When he's he's so he's so bright. I think he's a guy that's going to make. Uh, mental mistakes. Um, he's always going to work hard to get that extra yard for his team. And uh, I, I know it was at a lower level, but I think he's the only college running back in history to have three consecutive 2,000-yard seasons. So this guy, it's there. If, if, he, if he gets 15 to 20 touches consistently in an offense, I think he could do some real damage. 
Yeah, I, I just wonder if he's going to get that chance. I, I think he could be one of those guys that's a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Uh, he's a decent lead back, but not as good as Abdullah. He's good at catching passes, but not as good as Theo Riddick. Um, you know, as we saw, he's very valuable to his team, the Lions, as he played. I believe, I think he saw. I, I think I saw he played all but two snaps in their playoff game. But, you know, when there's a healthy backfield, that's going to severely limit his snaps in 2017. And you mentioned the uh, one more quick note, the, the two thousand three straight 2,000-yard seasons in college. That's a lot of wear and tear on a running back's body. Uh, except nobody was touching him. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, Kind of like you said, Nick, I think – he is a complete back. He might, you know, he might be a master of none, but I think the fact that he can do it all and uh, he looks really comfortable catching passes too. I, like I said before, there's always going to be a role for him. And he, he is, he is a complete back. He, he's not, he's not the fastest back in the NFL. He's not the strongest back in the NFL. Uh, but uh, he, he's just, just a, a reliable kid and he knows how to take care of himself. He's going to always be the healthy back on this team. Uh, my last red flag is, you know, when a backup running back gets a shot to be the lead back, you want to see him take it and run with it, like Jordan Howard did in Chicago, or to a lesser extent, Rob Kelly did in Washington. But we didn't see Zenner own the situation like Howard did. He didn't play poorly by any means. He's probably one of the top running back number threes in the NFL. But a top running back three ceiling is likely still some teams uh, running back number two. That that just that severely limits his ceiling to me, both short-term and long-term. I just don't ever see him being a team's number one lead back. Very true, very true. That's good Good points there all around. Um thought he was a good person to talk to, certainly a hot name going into the playoffs for Detroit. And I, and I do feel like the Detroit organization as a whole tends to not put a lot of pressure on young players, and that might be to – their detriment, but I I just feel like they they sit on these guys and they and they don't they don't want to give them I don't know if they want they don't want them to get overconfident or what, but I I mean the same thing happened this year with uh, uh, their rookie safety Miles um, Killebrew. You know he he got in some games was very effective, but it didn't lead to more snaps. And I and I and I just wonder if they're they're maybe holding him back and and maybe. Maybe Zenner is a guy that finds himself on another team at some point in time next couple of years and really does some damage. So, any other Zach Zenner thoughts there? Uh, nope, that's all I had. All right. Uh, moving forward, a uh, little prospect watch action. Thought we took a look at another couple of running backs. Uh, certainly some uh, some hot names um, right now. Both have officially declared. Uh, I asked Nick to take a look at Marlon Mack out of South Florida. What do you got for us on Mack? Well, Marlon Mack is a six foot, two hundred five to two hundred ten pounds. Uh, was very productive in his three seasons at South Florida. Over a thousand yards every year, thirty two career touchdowns to go with his thirty six hundred yards, and he had seven one hundred yard games this season. 
Uh, he's the USF all-time leading rusher and helped uh, the team get the school record with 11 wins this season. He did have 11 fumbles over his college career, but that's in 586 attempts. So it's not a huge red flag, but it is something to keep an eye on. Uh, he's been a starter since week one of his freshman season, uh, was the ACC Rookie of the Year as a freshman. Uh, the guy is very explosive hitting the hole. He's got good vision and patience, but he has been inconsistent throughout his career in the passing game, both in receiving and blocking, and he may not have the strength to push the pile in short yardage situations, so he could be limited to being a first two down back. Uh, opinions on him vary pretty widely. Uh, Walter Football has him all the way down at their, as their running back 19, whereas CBS Sports has him as a top 10 run, rookie running back. Uh, you know, in some years with less uh, depth in the draft class, he might have been a third or fourth round pick, but this year's running back class is so deep, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he fell to round five. Uh, six at the very worst, I would think, though. He is a pretty good player. Some, somebody could get a nice mid-round steal with Marlon Mack. Okay. Um, Jeremy Nichols, Boise State, five foot nine, two hundred and twelve pounds. Um, I, I kind of reminds me of Rick, Oakland rookie Jalen Jalen Richard. Um, and you know, last year that nobody would nobody would ever ever get that that uh, that that uh, comparison. But uh, I think he is certainly that type of player, and that's no no slight on him. I don't think he's I think he's limited. I just uh, his college game tape reminds me a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, Richards there, so I think he he hits the hole really quickly, uh, but he may he may lack a little bit of power to get those extra yards. He 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 is a smaller back, it's really decent size for five nine two twelve, but uh, I just don't see a lot of power to keep keep things going when he gets in traffic. Um, so that might hurt him get those tough yards in the NFL. Ridiculous pass catcher. Uh, I think he's pro ready route runner. Uh, means he could certainly be a third down PPR filler type type of player early for any team that drafts him. Uh, I think he's smart and effective blocker. Um, BYU. I watched. I was watching the BYU tape. I watched a few tapes on him. Watching the BYU tape, and he just he seriously, fearlessly just takes out a defensive lineman that's easily 50, 60 pounds bigger than him. He just takes him out, it's like hits him in the chest and knocks him to the ground. A guy that he's given at least 60 pounds to, just phenomenal to watch that, that type of play out of, of a college running back. And I think that's just another reason why he could contribute early. Uh, 642 touches in 25 games as a starter. I, you know, we'd like to talk about that's wear and tear on running back, but I also think that means uh, – 642 touches in 25 games. I think that means he has a lot of stamina built up. So he's going to be a player that can go deep into those intense moments of the game and be a be a playmaker when you ask him to. So I, I really like Jeremy McNichols. I think he's probably a mid-round pick, much like Mac. You know, I would say early fourth at the highest. But I think, I think a team that drafts him will certainly have a plan for him. And, and maybe it's a third down back early. But, uh, yeah. Fun, fun player to watch. I love, I love watching film on a guy and not seeing a lot of negative. There's certainly always a little bit, but not seeing a lot. It's just so, it's so fun to continue to watch and continue to see him check boxes. So really like Mr. McNichols there out of, uh, excuse me, Boise State. Uh, best number forty-eight, Nick. What do you got for us? 
Well, like you mentioned earlier, it's a very short list. Uh, as of today, the most famous number 48 is likely Bud Dupree, the Steelers linebacker who absolutely laid out the Dolphins quarterback, Matt Moore, on Sunday. And uh, when I say number 48 is a relatively weak number, of course, I mean no disrespect to anybody who wore the number. If you've ever been invited to work out for an NFL or even a Division three college team, you're 50 times the athlete I've ever been. Uh, but there's not a lot of Pro Bowls <laughs> or other accolades for the wearers of number 48 in the NFL. Uh, we'll start with Lionel Washington, who played 15 seasons at cornerback for the Rams, Raiders, and Broncos from 1983 through 1997, recording 37 interceptions. Uh, Washington did never get to a Pro Bowl, but you have to respect the longevity. And he also has the distinction of being the first time uh, I've ever mentioned that a player was named AFC Defensive Player of the Week back in Week 7 of the 1991 season. Told you it was a thin list. Uh, moving on to a two-time Pro Bowler, Ken Ellis opened his career with six years in Green Bay, where he went to both Pro Bowls, 1973 and 74, before uneventful stints with uh, five other teams before retiring after the 1979 season. Uh, Ellis had 22 career interceptions as a corner. Uh, fantasy owners of a certain age remember Stephen Davis, 17 touchdowns in 1999, over 1,300 yards in four of his five seasons from 1999 through 2003, Davis went to two, three Pro Bowls, two with Washington and one with Carolina, and at 31 years old, scored 12 touchdowns in his final season in Carolina. Now, our number one for number 48 of all time doesn't have the personal statistics to lay claim to the title. As a fullback, those can be very hard to come by, and unfortunately, he only gained two Pro Bowl berths in his 11-year career. I mean, just looking at the stats, you'd think that the former second-round pick was a huge bust. Uh, only 22 touchdowns in 11 years. Uh, his highs, career highs were 212 yards rushing, 372 yards receiving. Those don't screen the 39th overall pick and an all-time great. But without Daryl DeMoose Johnson, Emmett Smith is not the rushing champion of all time, period. I know the 1990s Dallas offensive line was likely the best of all time, but he was as much a sixth member of that offensive line as Donnie Warren was considered a sixth member of the Hogs in D.C. a decade earlier. Uh, the guys in the trenches get overlooked far too often, and for once, that's not going to be the case this time. Daryl Johnson is the best number 48 of all time, and a pretty good announcer, too. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree with you. Moose was the man, and it, and honestly, if you're looking at a making like an all-time NFL list, and you get to fullback, and not you don't want to have two halfbacks in there, you get to fullback. I mean, there's there's been some great guys recently. You know, Lorenzo Neal, um, uh, and the other guy's names escaping me, but that's the, that's kind of that's the kind of disrespect fullbacks get, but. Moose is a guy that could arguably be called the best. I mean, he doesn't have, like you said, the statistics, but arguably be called the best fullback of all time. He really just did what a fullback needed to do for that offense. Uh, like Washington, too. I think I think what was impressive about Washington is he played cornerback till he was 36 years old, um, and that's basically unheard of now 20 years later. I mean, usually 28, 29, those guys moved to safety. So he, he had the speed and power to do that. Um, and I think – you know, looking at since we've been doing this list, it's always interesting to look at guys certainly deserve, you know, their comeuppance, whatever you want to say, when they have 30-plus interceptions in their career. I think that's a pretty good pretty good number. Maybe that's like the, uh, you know, the 100-touchdown mark for players or 80-touchdown mark or whatever, but that's a good number for DBs to consider them having a really good career. Um, another guy I don't think you talked about, Wes Hopkins, entire 11-year career with Philly. Uh, 30, 30 career passes, free safety, the former second-round pick out of SMU. 
Um, interesting note from him, too, like, again, thin list, but he in three career playoff games, he recovered four fumbles. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Steven Davis, like we talked about, what I thought was interesting about Steven Davis, Nick, is he had two 1,400-yard seasons in both times, uh, 99-2003. Both times he did that, he only played in 14 games. And he, did, he had 1,400 yards in 14 games with two different teams. So I, thought, I really thought that was special about him. You talked about uh, Ken Ellis as well. Uh, interesting note from his career, six different teams in four years. <laughs> that, that's crazy to think. I mean, we've seen players do that, but it's just crazy crazy to think even back then when, you know, free agency what isn't what it was, but, you know, getting picked up and stuff by other teams, six different teams in four years. Um, and something I forgot last week, but I'll, I'll get to it this, this week, number 48. The least number four, least important number 48 of all time, uh, Richie White, I think we'll say is how that last name is pronounced. Richie White, W-O-I-T, 5'8", 175-pound DB out of Arkansas State. Played one game for the Detroit Lions in 1955, and he returned a punt for 13 yards. So there you go. The least important number 48 of all time. Richie White, and if I say that last name wrong and you know Richie, I'm sorry. Actually, Richie has passed away. He passed away in 2007, so he will not, he will not ever be able to hear us, let us hear his name, but least important number 48 of all time. Let's, let's patch Chuck through. Chuck, are you there? I'm here, guys. Sorry about that. You caught me. You went to me off quickly there. Oh, sorry. We, we, we were talking about the least important number 48 of all time, and I thought, I thought it was wasn't good radio, so we should get over you. <laughs> well, it wasn't Ed, Oba- Ed Obradovich, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. <laughs> he used to play for the Chicago Bears. I believe he was number 87, though. I was just, just thinking of old. Oh. Uh, whenever I picture numbers on jerseys, since I grew up as a Bears fan, I, I picture all those old Bears jerseys and those numbers. And uh, Anyway. Let's move on to uh, to different things here. <clears throat> Hello. All right. <laughs> yep. We're here. Would, uh, you want to do last week's games here? Which, sure. Uh, yeah. I'm not really proud of, but uh, thanks to Clemson. Oh, you wanted to? Well, let's go over these games, and we'll talk about uh, t- we'll talk about uh, what happens to sports books when favorites win. Okay. Um, sure. Houston game, you gave me a hard time for picking Houston last week, and uh, and they ended up winning. But all the favorites won last week, and uh, and that was the only one I won because I took the underdogs on the rest of the games uh, for the week, including the. Uh, do we want to include? Uh, I have to include Clemson and Alabama since I got that one right. I was. <laughs> okay. I, I was. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, all right. You're the boss. We got it. <laughs> I was uh, two out of five, so two and three. Uh, Josh, you were two and three, but you were two and four in the pro games. Uh, Nick, you were three out of four in the pro games. Good job this week, by the way. And of course, you know I gave myself Clemson, so you know I was I was within one of you guys. Anyway, um, <clears throat> as far as favorites go, uh, Josh, you had asked me earlier in the week to uh, to hit this on whether sports books lose a lot of money. Mm-hmm. When the favorites win, um, normally, and I know that's a big thing in the regular season. Yeah, I wasn't sure about playoffs. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, normally they do, but I heard an interview with one of the sports book directors, and I believe it was the guy from the Westgate uh, Superbook here in Las Vegas, and they asked him on after the games on Saturday if they stood to lose a lot of money on any of the games, and he said no. It might have been before all the games. And he said no. They didn't have a lot of liability, so there wasn't a ton of money coming in on any of the games. And that includes the Packers, who are usually a big... Uh, a big bet on team, but that didn't include the Packers. It's probably because they were playing the Giants. But he didn't seem to be that concerned about any of them, although I did read in the newspaper this morning that uh, the Clemson win over Alabama created the biggest sportsbook loss on a college football game in history here in Las Vegas. Wow. Apparently, uh, apparently, and you would think that's different because you would think a lot of people would be going with Alabama, but apparently they lost a lot of money on that game when Clemson, especially Clemson winning it. Um, they got a lot of, they lost a lot of money on the people who were betting on Clemson on the money line. And you'll find that's the case in big games. A lot of fans come to town. Uh, from these teams, and they don't want to take their team plus the points. They like to win money on their team on the money line, so they'll bet them to win, and so that's why uh, Las Vegas lost a lot of money on that money line bet on the uh, on the Clemson Tigers. Um, I think they started out at about plus 350, and I think they ended up at like plus 210 or something like that. So, yeah, a lot of money bet on the money line on Clemson. Interesting. And I, I did notice, too, it wasn't like an official Vegas line, but I just checked before that game started, and it was down to six and a half. Is, when that and the spread drops like that, does that mean a lot of money's pouring in on Bama, right? Yeah, well, it seemed it seemed like it was at six and a half. Anytime I looked at it, I think I saw one seven-point favorite, so – uh, it, it the line didn't move a whole lot, which is, is strange because okay. if they were getting a lot of money. But apparently, the money line went down from 350 to 210. So apparently, there were there were a lot of betters, like I said, on Clemson on the money line, and not a lot, not a lot of people on the point line. So uh, that's I got it at okay. six. I was going to kind of wait till it went up to seven, and <clears throat> I never saw it at seven. So I just uh, I, I took the six and a half and uh, came out okay. Cool. Yeah, pretty, pretty epic game there. Certainly, uh, you know when uh, when Ryan Anderson from Alabama stripped Gallman there deep in Clemson territory, and even, and even Alabama only got a field goal out of it. I was just like, man, this thing is over. And that was that was far from the case. I mean, it was a a huge back and forth for there. Obviously, both Scarborough breaking his leg there at the end of the third did not did not help matters at all. So. Yeah, fun, as a better on Clemson, you know, you hate to root for injuries, but as a better on Clemson, you know, I saw Scarborough go out. Of course, I didn't know his leg was broken at the time, but I thought, whew, that'll uh, that'll help the Clemson defense. But you know, don't uh, you know? You mentioned that fumble. Uh, don't underestimate the the uh, importance of holding Alabama to a field goal after that uh, for the yeah. Clemson side. Um, it it uh, it's it, it was a really it was just as good a game as it was last year honestly and i love the i know i don't know if it was payback from last year but the call for Clemson there at the end of the game that kicked with one second left they opted to kick it onside rather than give alabama a chance to return the kickoff i thought that was actually a pretty smart move yeah and the strange thing is that if uh 
if Alabama would have recovered that, um, wouldn't uh, does does the clock not start as soon as a as a player touches it? That's what confused me. Yeah. I was thinking I was thinking Clemson Clemson's thought there was if they kick an onside kick and Alabama, you know, jumps on it or or boots it around a little bit a little bit then that that one second clicks off the clock, but if Alabama would have fallen right on top of it, would they not have gotten one play to try for a Hail Mary? Yeah, I think a play generally has to take a second though. I think they would they would be a runoff or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, but Clemson recovered it, so doesn't the start? Doesn't the clock start when Clemson recovers it too? I, I don't. I, I not enough was said about the ruling on that, and uh, and it kind of left me wanting a little bit there. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the exact rule is there. Okay, let's move on to the pro games this week. Um, now, Josh, you wanted uh, this week to do both the uh, both the spread and the and the over unders, right? Yeah, yeah. I was I wasn't okay. satisfied going two games under two games <laughs> under five hundred. I want to go. I want to go further down. <laughs> all right, all right. Saturday games and the first one is uh, is Seattle at Atlanta. The Seahawks traveling to uh, to play the uh, Falcons. And you know how many times are you going to hear Battle of the Birds this week? Uh, Atlanta favored by five over Seattle, and the over under on this game fifty one and a half. Oh well, yes, the dirty birds. Uh, Nick, Nick, we we haven't given you a chance to talk. Why don't you go first? You know, obviously, if this was in Seattle, uh, I think Seattle would probably likely be a favorite. But you know, in Atlanta, I don't know. I still think Atlanta wins, but I think it's more of a field goal type of game. Seattle games just tend to be low scoring. I know both teams' offenses have been fairly fairly high powered as of late, but I, I got to go with the under. I think it's going to be under 51, and I think it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to go with Seattle to at least cover the spread. I just don't believe. Uh, I, I like Atlanta's offense, but I just don't think they're great enough to really run up the score on that Seattle defense. And what was the spread again, Chuck? Five points. Five points. Yeah, that just seems like too much. Um, yeah, that seems like too much. Well, we talked earlier about. Seattle's probably the best defense left in this playoffs because we know Houston's not going anywhere. Uh, that's just too much. I think Seattle controls controls this game with their defense. And I, 51, that seems like so much for a Seattle game. I think they'll be comfortable indoors there in Atlanta. So I, I think they make a, I think they make enough stops. You know, I'd like to look at, the IDP brain in me likes to look at the the uh, the cornerback matchups, and I think Sherman versus Julio. And I know they played earlier this week or this year, excuse me, but Sherman versus Julio is actually a pretty good matchup for Seattle because it's big. It's big against big, essentially. You know, it's like a uh, Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar type of battle. So, or, or not Bill Walton. Um, I don't know. I don't know my basketball players well enough. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, Moses Malone versus Kareem. How about that? Um, to really date myself, but uh, yeah. Long story short, I think Seattle. I think Seattle can go in there and win, so I'll take the five points. But I would also say under, given the fact that they'll probably try to set set a precedent, and Thomas Rawls will have more rushing yards in the playoffs than he had in the regular season at the at the end of the game. Probably, I think I think Seattle tries to control the thing down, and 
this is a team that's been there. I know Atlanta's been in the playoffs, but Seattle knows how to win in the playoffs. So I'll take Seattle and the under. All right. The got? Seahawks have been uh, have really not been that good on the road. They've had a few bright spots where they uh, they beat New England, right? Um, but uh, it, it, it's surprising that Seattle is averaging less than 16 points on the road, like 15.8 this year. Uh, they got held to single digits three times on the road, three points, six points, and five points. Uh, this year on the road, they're three, four, and one. And uh, as far as the over and under, all eight games in Atlanta this year went over the total. They're eight and zero oh to the overs in Atlanta. Yeah, I know. So it should wow. go back the other way. But I'm going to go ahead and take Atlanta minus the five points. Um, if you remember, the Falcons kind of got. Uh, you know, do you know a team that gets more calls when they're at home than than Seattle? <laughs> the they 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 played earlier in Seattle, and it's kind of weird this week. These are all rematch games, by the way. But uh, Atlanta mm. went to Seattle, yeah. and it kind of ended on a on a bad note when uh, I think Julio Jones, everybody thought he got interfered with or something like that at the end of the game. Um, I'm going to look for a little revenge here in Atlanta, uh, but I'm also going to take the over, and that's kind of dangerous because I you know Seattle may have one of those clunkers where they don't score many points. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the Falcons mm-hmm. minus five, and I'm going to go over 51 and a half in the game just because of the trend. Okay, and I think I don't. I mean, obviously, I disagree with you on both aspects. But I think if you're if you're taking the Falcons in this game, you gotta like the over. But if you're taking Seattle, you gotta like the under. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think usually, they kind of I mean, go hand it's in hand. That yeah. way. If it's a if it's a low scoring game, it has more of a chance of being closer. I used to use that strategy on. Uh, um, you know, doing my teasers, I would find the team the games with the lowest total and I wouldn't bet the unders I would bet the underdog uh, because you know they're not expecting a lot of points but yeah you're right um, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the Atlanta and the Obers and we'll move on to the uh, the late game and it will be a game it'll be some sort of game uh, New England Patriots are favored by 16 over the Houston Texans and the over under is 44 and a half wow that's a an interesting mix of numbers there. Um, wow. This team, so Thursday, a Thursday night game, you know, week three or whatever, New England shut out Houston. I think it was 27 nothing with their third-string quarterback. So they should win no problem. But I think, uh, I think, I think I'll see some, uh, some late points out of Houston in this game. So I'll, I'll take, I'll take New England and lay those 15 points, uh, but I'll take the over as well. So, and maybe maybe the over under makes sense. Maybe Chuck can shed some light on that. Maybe the over under makes sense, considering there's such a big spread. But I, I I just I just don't don't like the that number there at all. So I'll take the over and New England. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I agree with you on both fronts. I didn't think Houston was going to be able to beat uh, the Raiders last week. They proved me wrong, obviously. But, you know, beating the Raiders with Connor Cook is a far different task than going on the road to New England facing Tom Brady and company. Um, Yeah, I look for Bill Belichick to – 
probably completely shut down the running game because that's Houston's strongest offensive uh, attack, and then everything falls on Brock Osweiler's shoulders. That's usually not a not not a good uh, good thing if you're a Texans fan. So I got to go with New England, and I'll take the over. And I got to ask you, Chuck, is it pretty rare that the over under is that low when the game is a 16 point spread? No, no, it's. Uh, I, I, <laughs> It depends. I, the odds makers don't have any choice but to make New England uh, this big a favorite, um, because if they made them any less, if they made them under two touchdowns, all the money. <laughs> I mean, as it is, all, all of all the money is going to be on New England anyway. Um, they they've got to make them a big favorite. I think that they don't think that uh, Houston is going to score. And and Nick, were you done? I didn't know. Were you going to pick New England in the over? Yeah, I went with New England in the over. Okay. That's how it was done. Um, I'm going to go with New England with you guys. Um, first of all, this seems too easy. Uh, the three most recent games against these teams, New England is 3-0 and straight up and against the spread, and their average margin of victory is 22.6 points. So it makes sense to take New England in this. I just, like you said, Josh, you expected Texas to score a little late in the game. I, I don't expect them to score much. Um, so that's why I'm taking. You know, if you, if if New England, if if Houston scores seven points, then you're thinking New England is going to score 37. Um, and I don't think Bill Belichick will allow him to. I think he'll rest a couple <laughs> guys if he gets ahead by that much. I I, I think you know you'll see some guys resting. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go under the total, which, you know, you have to kind of like, uh, hold your breath and say, okay, I'm going under. And, uh, I, I hate betting unders and I can't stand watching a game when I bet on unders because I'm rooting for nothing to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take new England and the unders. So I'll agree with you guys on new England. and I'm going to go the unders on that game. And I wonder when the last time, even at any point in the season, well, that the number one defense in the league is a fifteen point or sixteen point underdog. Excuse me. That's yeah, that's weird. Wild. Huh? And um, yeah, I, I just you don't think anybody. Two... Has... Go ahead. I don't think anybody. And you know, this is dangerous thinking when when you're thinking with the masses. But everybody thinks Texas is a lousy team. <laughs> Excuse me, the Houston's, uh, the, the Houston Texans are are not a good team and shouldn't even be in the playoffs. So that's when it gets dangerous, you know. When I, like I say, I'm I hate yeah. betting big favorites because I'm betting along with everybody else, and that's scary. Yeah, yeah, and you got to think too. I mean, Belichick's a smart enough guy, especially what after we saw with uh, Big Ben getting hurt. If they're up by like three touchdowns in the third quarter. You got to get Brady off the field, and guess what? Jimmy Garoppolo is already trade fodder. Get him some snaps against the number one defense in the NFL again. Why not, right? Yeah, yeah. He didn't get to play him the first time, so. And uh, I always harken back. I always harken back to what a handicapper, a, a, a professional handicapper, said to me one time. He, you know, I said, you know, everybody likes that, and he goes, Chuck. He says sometimes the public is right, and. <laughs> Maybe this is one. This is one of those times. All right, let's move on to the Sunday games. Uh, the early game is a really, really. It, it's one I'm really looking forward to. Pittsburgh is in Kansas City to play the Chiefs, and the last line I had on this one and a half. Chiefs favored by one and a half, and the over under is forty four. 
Wow. Um, I just I don't know how KC can stop AB84 and Le- and Le'Veon Bell. I mean, we know there's some injury questions with Roethlisberger going in, and that doesn't bode well against the the three-headed pass rushing attack of uh, KC. But again, you know, this team is battle tested. This Pittsburgh team is battle tested. They've been to the playoffs. They know how to win full weeks in a row in the playoffs. KC does not. So I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take Pittsburgh. But I think just like that first game with Seattle and Atlanta, if you're taking Pittsburgh, you're taking you're taking a, over in this game as well. I think you have to. I think those two go hand in hand. So I'll take Pittsburgh and the over. Nick, what do you think? Well, I, I agree with you on the over part, but I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to take Kansas City. I worry about uh, Ben Roethlisberger's ankle uh, that he got tweaked on that uh, hit late in the fourth quarter last week. Um, so that worries me a little bit. Plus the fact Kansas City at home is a really, really tough uh, team to beat. And you know, this isn't uh, the Kansas City offense from two years ago. They actually now that they have Tyreek Hill, uh, Spencer Ware, they've they've got pretty good weapons. They can they can score. They, they, their offense isn't as, isn't as prolific as Pittsburgh's, of course, but they they do have a pretty decent offense now, and their defense is obviously top notch. So I, I'm going to go with the Chiefs to, in this one. We all talk so much about Andy Reid and his uh, his uh, record after a bye week. He's sixteen and two after bye weeks. But uh, what we don't hear about is that his playoff record is three and zero when given an extra week in postseason. In other words, when his team gets a bye, he's three and zero in games right after that. Uh, Alex Smith, strangely enough, in the playoffs, Alex Smith's passer rating is ninety nine point one. And the only guys that are better than him in the playoffs as far as passer ratings are Bart Starr, Kurt Warner, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers. So pretty good company to be in there. Um, if if you're looking over, I think if, if you're looking for a lot of points to be scored, Pittsburgh's probably going to win. So for that reason, uh, I'm taking Kansas City. Uh, and I'm, for that reason, I'm taking the under. I think, you know, if there's a lot of scores, uh, a lot of scoring in this game, I'm thinking Pittsburgh wins it. If, there's, uh, if, if Kansas City wins it, they're going to have to hold Pittsburgh's offense down. And for that reason, I'm going to take the unders. So we'll take the Chiefs minus one and a half, and I'm going to go with the unders. All right. Packers are at Dallas. This will be a great one to have on Sunday late. Uh, Green Bay is a five-point underdog. The Dallas Cowboys favored by five over the Packers. And the over/under on this game is uh, is the highest one of the weekend, fifty-two and a half. And well, five and a half? No, just five. Just five. I. Wow. Um, I again like the. Like the home, t- or excuse me, the road team and the over in this one. I, um, I, yeah, Green Bay is so hot right now. Even, even if they don't win this game, I believe they can stay within the five. Um, this is this come down to a a hail mary, maybe. I mean, we 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 know that's possible. So, uh, that's maybe it is a maybe it is a five point, and I I want extra credit if I predict a push. Chuck, did you mark that down, please? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, 
I, I see that, that that potentially happening. And maybe, just maybe, Dallas figures out a way to, to knock that uh, Hail Mary down. So, we'll go with that. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Green Bay and the over. I Just like you mentioned, Green Bay is probably the hottest team going into the playoffs right now. Um, they looked fantastic last week against the Giants. Uh, I, I just don't think Dallas – Dallas has had a great season. They've been a great story going from worst place in the division to, you know, number one seed in the conference. But with a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back playing their first ever playoff action, going against a team as seasoned as Green Bay, I, I just got to figure they're going to probably struggle. So I, I got to go with the Packers and the over. I'm going to agree with you guys on the Packers. The, the playoffs is a different season, and as good as Elliott and Prescott have been this year, there's just something about playing in the different atmosphere of the playoffs. Now, if they can if they can perform well, you know, here in the playoffs, I, I it, they'll be the best ever. Um, and this is not to not to criticize. Uh, anything they've been. I mean, they, they've been great during the uh, regular season, but sometimes you just need to play in the playoffs and experience what the difference is. Um, so when you get an experienced team like the Packers and one that's been as hot as the Packers and you get five points, um, I'm going to go ahead and take that. And I'm also counting on the fact that Dallas is not going to score that many points. I'm going to, uh, uh, that's the reason I'm going to take the under on this game. I'm going to take the Packers. I'll agree with you guys on that, but I'm going to go under 52 and a half, but I, I really am on the fence about that. And just, just the fact that if I'm predicting the Dallas offense to struggle, then I got to go with the unders and stay true to myself there. So Packers and under. Yeah, as much as I don't like a uh, the over unders when they're right there in the middle between like forty three and forty seven, it's just it's really hard to to have a confidence when it's fifty one, fifty two points. But uh, I feel like if if it Green Bay didn't pull off the gas even in the cold uh, cold weather last week, so uh, I feel like that's, that's certainly a possibility again this week. Well, here's something interesting, also, Josh. As I look across the board at all the point spreads. Uh, and I'm using the point spread from the South Point and Jimmy Vaccaro here. Uh, the South Point right now is the only one still at five on these games. The rest of them are down to four or to four and a half. So uh, the Packers plus five is a bargain for us. We were lucky on that one. We'll uh, bet all our money at the South Point this week. <laughs> all right. Okay. Cool. Well, that is all we have for you today. Uh, Chuck, as always, thanks for being our man in Vegas. And I suppose we can't all be right going into next next week since we had some had some opposition there or some, some disagreements. But uh, maybe we can all be 500. Is that possible, Chuck? I don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll pray for the uh, best I think, outcome. And hope, I think anything is possible. And I, I know points are at a premium in the uh, – in the playoffs, so it's already second-guessing me taking those overs, but uh, well, I'll stick with it. Well, like I say, you know, there was another theory on that over-under. You know, I said I hate to bet on the unders because you're rooting for nothing, for teams to not score. But uh, but one theory on this is a, is a guy said he always loved to bet unders because he's winning right when the game starts. <laughs> 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 so you can look at it that way. If you took the unders, you're winning when the game starts, and they have to they have to go over whatever you have there. Ah, uh, yes, that's my favorite thing about watching the Minnesota Twins 
first inning of baseball as they ha- they're not losing yet, uh, at least before the first pitch. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Okay, uh, guys. It's uh, thank you, Chuck. Have a good weekend. But all right, talk to you next week and good luck. You too. All right. So, always great stuff there from our man, uh, man in Vegas. He actually lives in Henderson, Nevada, if you want to stalk him. But uh, uh, thank you, as always, to Chuck. Um, this is the Dynasty Pulse podcast. We're brought to you by FantasyData.com. I've been all over that place since uh, since the, uh, play, the regular season ended there, getting some getting some articles up, up and going for you. I'm currently writing the Dynasty Stock Report, Defensive Line Report, we dropped the tight end report last week. We're going to hit the rest of the positions throughout the month of January. And, again, like I said, next week hopefully we'll have our offensive rookie rankings live there too. Is that is Monday is the last day for people to officially declare for the NFL draft. So uh, look forward to all that here coming for you from DFW. I'm sure Brian will have some, some DFS stuff up for this weekend too. So make sure you, make sure you check that out. Uh, this has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Nick, as always, thanks for being my man, my co-host. Love doing it, Josh. And uh, hopefully the games this weekend are a little more competitive than last weekend's games. Playoff football is <laughs> always great regardless. But, you know, we did see a lot of blowouts last week. So hopefully hopefully we have some uh, games that come right down to the wire this week, right? Yes. Yes. Hopefully we have some reasons to watch the second half, most definitely. So that's all we have for you. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Ooh, Dynasty Dilemma next week is an interesting one. I don't know if I said that word enough today, so I thought I'd drop it in in here. Rashard Perryman versus Kevin White. So I think it's Nick's turn to choose on the Dynasty Dilemma. So Nick will have to let me know. Perryman versus White for next week, so stay tuned for that. Talk to you next week. Dynasty Bowl Podcast with Nikki, Gil, 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 Gil,